think I know how to Google it. Stoop. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I think that, that yes, 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 makes it stay in, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'll do the intro. Okay, okay, okay. Oh my god, please do it. Uh, and Georgia's go. Yes, 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 yes. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. This episode contains discussions of sexual assault and rape, including violence against minors and the elderly. We'd like to clarify that although we recognize value in teaching people techniques for protecting themselves, under no circumstances do we advocate for victim blaming, a line that feels fairly blurred in most of the stories we discuss today. All right, let's do our intro. Tell me about um, werewolves. Okay, so we're actually, I was doing a bunch of research for werewolves, and I kind of fell down the Little Red Riding Hood rabbit hole. Okay. And it got so big that we're actually starting werewolves without any werewolves. We're just doing our first episode on Little Red Riding Hood. I feel like that makes sense, right? That's kind of where... I feel like that's probably where the wolf mythos kind of began, right? It was not people being like, oh, people can turn into wolves and lycanthropy and things. But, like, wolves are scary. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's... So, like... All across the world, there's mythos about, like, people who can transform into animals. Right, like shapeshifters mm-hmm. and skinwalkers. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. And and across the world. And also, you know, there's a bunch of, like, people-slash-animal hybrids in a bunch of different lore. Like, ancient Egypt had a million yeah. gods with, like, human body, head of a jackal, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, so that's, that's pretty common. And, like, Hindu, you've got Ganesh with the elephant head. Mm -hmm. and skinwalkers in america and like everywhere um we have shapeshifters and and human slash werewolf hybrid or human slash animal hybrids yeah and and that's ancient history so i can't really actually trace the werewolf myth all the way back to its origin because it predates spoken it it predates written word. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. However, I think what most likely happened way before werewolves was the concept of the big bad wolf. And in tracing the big bad wolf, I followed Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, our first episode is more of like a prequel that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, we need, we need, yeah, yeah, we need to do it. It's not actually about werewolves. It's about the big bad wolf. But mm-hmm. all of this stuff is actually going to totally come back when I start actually talking about the stories that lead to our werewolf right. mythos. I feel like that makes perfect sense. Werewolves aren't nearly as uh, frightening without the foundational myths that make us afraid of wolves. Exactly. And, and, the, and the foundational reality, right? Like, wolves are very large, predatory, well somewhat predatory animals depending on what area i mean like apparently in france i'm gonna get to that later but like good lord in like middle ages europe wolves actually did do a lot of damage and then we damaged them back even harder because that's how humans do Mm -hmm. but (laughs) damn straight but uh 
Yeah, no, all of the stories that I'm going to tell today in the in the little Red Riding Hood stories are actually going to come back in the werewolf stories. And it's something I noticed that I hope to divulge to you. Ooh, I think it's going to be a lot nice, of fun. Nice, nice dollar vocab word. <laughs> so, so let's start. Hi, welcome to Horror Academy. We haven't done this in a while. Happy Halloween! We were gonna do this once a week, and then we both decided that actually life is a uh, hard, hard, so, and busy. So maybe someday, and upsetting, when, largely upsetting. When like, you know, the world isn't a trash fire, and we're not in the middle of like massive life changing events, and maybe if we're making actual money off of this, we can do cool big things for Halloween or publish once a week or something reasonable that actual podcasters do. But until then, happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Happy spooky season, everybody. So for Halloween, we're doing werewolves. I'm Alexandria Youngray, and I am accompanied by my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Hey. <laughs> I saw I you almost just head nod. You were going to howl. You should have. I was going to howl. I was going to howl. And then I, I did a little, it was probably just like not super visible on my, on my camera. I did a little like brosive kind of. Yeah. I, I saw I said, your hey. head nod, but uh, no one else could. Cause this is a podcast. I think it was implied with my really, really cool and confident. Just, Hey. Yeah. That's the kind of hey you give when you do a head nod. It was it was implied. It was okay. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I definitely got the Matthew McConaughey hitting on high schoolers <laughs> vibe. <laughs> I mean, it's a spooky season, right? It's fine. It's fine. <sighs> Alright, let the spookiness into you. I feel the spook. Let's make this weird. Let's uh let's take our bras off because <laughs> way ahead of you because this is my fucking house i do what i want so uh tell me about that big bad wolf i'm gonna tell you about that big bad wolf okay so we're gonna go back to ancient greece with aesop Ooh, aesop i love your fables (laughs) so i think everyone's kind of i like aware of aesop fables conceptually But a little background, Aesop was a slave and storyteller. He probably lived between 1620 and uh, 564 BCE. Okay. I had no idea that Aesop was a uh, slave. He was a real person and a a slave. And it kind of makes sense that he was a slave and a storyteller because, like, the jester role. Right, right. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can picture that. But yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little strange yeah. from what you'd expect, because, like, you think of, like, ancient Greeks, and you're like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 philosophers. Well, and I think, for me, what the thing really is, is that I, I get so stuck on our more, I guess, new world concept of slavery, which is, like... It's not what you think of, yeah. No. When I think of slavery, I still very much think of, like, pre-Civil War South. Yeah. That's the image. Cotton totally. picking, like, that's the image. Yeah, no, and it's actually really interesting because I've done a bunch of research for sp- scary clowns mm-hmm. that we'll have to do someday. It's a big 
big long one though i have no idea how many parts that'll be so we're not there yet no we're not but uh in researching the like jester and entertainer it's like oh okay yeah that makes a lot of sense like you were definitely a slave well especially because like clowns and jesters and entertainers in that area have actually only for very short periods of history been fun happy like jovial all goodness no badness you know right so anyway that's that's kind of a crazy thing um also his stories were originally like told and carried through oral tradition so he would tell the stories but he wasn't the one writing them down oh i did not okay so that kind of makes more sense they weren't actually written for like a few hundred years that makes sense. Well, and I've definitely always known that things like, you know, the, the Brothers Grimm, for example, mm-hmm. like that their stories, although, you know, they wrote them, they're also really heavily based on, you know, oral traditions and word of mouth of, yeah. know, of ancient Europe and, you know, stories and myths and ideas that existed for a very long time that they just happened to put to paper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in all of these stories that I'm going to tell you all of these like versions of red riding hood, they're all, here's what I heard from peasants. And so I wrote them down. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there, in fact, there's even one story that literally doesn't have an author. It's mm-hmm. just like, this is Italian peasants. Okay. We kept it. And then everyone else, even in like in the work itself or in like the description of the person's life, you know that they were writing down stories and fables from word of mouth. Right. Okay. So it's pretty interesting. All of that. nonsense. Yes. I like it. Yes. Now with Aesop, we don't actually get little red riding hood yet. We, we just get like, basically I want to bring in Aesop because he's like our first concept of like the big bad wolf. Okay. So I don't, at least from what I'm aware of, I don't have any other knowledge of an earlier The Big Bad Wolf as, like, a a part of a story and a metaphor. Okay. So as as far as you've been able to figure out, really the first reference to The Big Bad Wolf as a literary element and as a metaphor is from Aesop. Yeah. Now, I'm okay. sure a wolf has been part of a story since, Probably countless. since we started talking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm literally, I'm, I'm literally doing prehistory history here. If I'm trying to go all the way back to <laughs> yeah. werewolves, like, you know. Yeah. So I'm going as far back as I feel comfortable going. <laughs> that means I saw Okay. So a couple of, of examples, uh, the wolf and the lamb, a wolf came upon a lamb who had strayed from his flock and the wolf felt some discomfort with taking an, such an innocent life. So he wanted to come up with a plausible excuse. So he goes up to the lamb and he says, uh, last year you insulted me. And the lamb says, that's impossible because I was only born this year. 
And the wolf says, okay, well, you eat from my pasture. And the lamb says, that's also impossible because I haven't even tasted grass yet. And the wolf says, okay, well, you drink from my spring. And the lamb says, that also doesn't make any sense because I still have only drank my mother's milk. And so the wolf says, well, I'm not going without my dinner and he eats the lamb. And the moral is a tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. Damn. I like it. <laughs> I know. I like that too. It's kind of harsh, but it's yeah. Pretty harsh. And again, this is just me doing my like, this is as far back as I found. I like that even in the very, very beginning, the wolf was intended as a metaphor. Right. I really did. The wolf isn't actually a wolf. Right. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I really did expect the uh, Little Red Riding Hood story to begin with a, like, legitimate wolf encounter. Like, this peasant was attacked by a wolf and the moral of the story is don't go into the forest by yourself kind of thing. Like, a a very realistic, very tangible, very literal uh, wolf story. But it is. It's a metaphor from the very beginning. Yeah. And obviously there are wolf attacks that tie into it, but it more inspires the story. Right. That serves to strengthen the metaphor, yeah. really, right? Yep, exactly. And the wolf always stays... And the, okay, so this is, this is, again, goes back to, like, why I love horror. And one of the things that I've recently discovered, because I wasn't really a monster flick girl growing up, and I've mm-hmm. recently become more into monsters, and it's because horror is always political horror is always what we are afraid of and what we are afraid of is always political inherently because what are we afraid of we're afraid of ourselves we're afraid of the other we're afraid of the immigrant we're afraid of our best friends we're yeah it's always it's always something really meaningful even if it doesn't feel that way at the time because fear is a very like you know right even a even a really cheesy even a really cheesy b horror flick is still going to be referencing really like deep and innate and uh charged kind of fears Mm -hmm. yeah it's always going to be relevant and so from frankenstein's monster to dracula to werewolves we're always actually exploring a deeper meaning in the humor human experience Mm -hmm. so the wolf is always more than a wolf. Which is great. Which I, I love. That. love. So um, another example that I loved was the wolf and the crane, where the wolf uh, gets a bone stuck in his neck and asks the crane to get it out. And it's like, I'll get, I'll, you know, I'll pay you for your time. It'll be worth it. And so the crane gets it out by like putting his beak down the wolf's throat to pull the bone right. out. Uh, Of course. And then the crane's like, okay, what's my payment? And the wolf's like, your payment is that you put your head in a wolf's mouth and didn't get it cut off. Damn. And the idea there is that when serving the wicked, don't expect a reward. Right, okay. I love it! (laughs) When serving... It's interesting what you're saying, too, about horror being political, and uh, what I find interesting just about the first couple of Uh, fables that you've shared is that those seem to me to be very liberal ideals for the time right like Mm -hmm. very of course it comes from peasants right it's peasants who are fed up yeah yeah uh with the system it's peasants who are fed up with how they're being treated or maybe not even fed up but just 
acknowledging the really inherent unobvious problems right mm-hmm. just like well yeah, i mean this sucks yeah putting putting like critiques of tyranny in storytelling has been around for ever i just feel like it's so deliciously subversive and yeah. very um it's, it's very ye old that... punk rock yeah <laughs> Exactly. It's ye old punk rock. Like that's something that now, you know, it's such it's such like a big issue anytime like a, a children's author mm-hmm. writes a book that's like GLBT inclusive or you know, makes any kind of like political or environmental statement. It's like, oh my god, how could you? Like, eh, it's such a problem. And then the fables that people really you know, that that even that, that not only the most liberal but even the most conservative are kind of like foundations for the myth we grew up, myths that we grew up with as children are based in some very sort of politically and socially motivated punk rock shit. Yeah, totally. It's which I like. It's I so like much that a fun. lot. It's a lot of fun. Now another story is like, I think it's the wolf and the mother, mm-hmm. and the wolf goes up and hears a mother like talking to her screaming child and is like, if you don't shut the fuck up, I will throw you out to the wolves. And so the wolf like stays there waiting all day. Like keep crying, baby. Like, okay, okay. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the mom to throw the baby to me. And then the mom doesn't at the end of the day, the mom's like, okay, you're such a good baby. And if, if a wolf comes to try to get us, we'll, we'll sneak out and we'll bash it on the head and we'll kill the shit out of it. And so the wolf goes home and his partner's like, why didn't you bring home food? You were out all day. And he's like, this is what I get for listening to a woman. And, like, that's the moral? <laughs> <laughs> so there's definitely some, like, less liberals. There's definitely some problematic yeah. ones. And and it's really interesting. This lady said she would feed me her baby. Yeah. One of, one of the things that is really fascinating that I've noticed as a theme in the Red Riding Hood stories is... There's a really, really interesting critique on sexual assault in the story. It's, mm, it's like, okay. a really big... I didn't expect it, but it's actually, like, ever-present in most of the Red Riding Hood stories. However, it also was, like, foundational for victim-blaming. Bummer. So it's kind of a little bit of this and that, you know? Right, right. Well, I mean, people aren't perfect, right? Like, yeah. it's not rational or realistic to idealize uh, the past. Mm-hmm. Nor is it really helpful, but I definitely think it's realistic to see a lot of, uh, especially like storytelling specifically, not just writing stories down, but like oral tradition mm-hmm. can be very, uh, subversive. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, basically like, that's why you got to look at this stuff is because you get the good and the bad from it and you want to be able to like piece that apart. Yeah. And kind of be like, okay, well, I'm going to take this story and I'm going to take the good from it and I'm going to keep that and I'm going to, like, reject the bad instead of just mindlessly imbibing it. Right. Right. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of articles about, you know, whatever, various celebrities and not letting their children watch different Disney movies and stuff. And on the one hand, I totally get behind that as far as, like, yeah, don't feed into the entrenched dogma of stuff that your kids are indoctrinated to believe because they like this entertainment but at the same time, it's like everything isn't evil and awful and there's good in a lot of things. So if we can rationally parse through the like unsavory bits and acknowledge them as being unsavory, but still a part of the story, people, I think, can get 
I almost think you can get like two lessons out of it, right? Like instead of just getting the intended lesson, you also kind of learn to be a little more conscious and aware. Kind of like that conversation we were having a thousand years ago about Beauty and the Beast. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, okay, so for the listeners who aren't me and you, um, (laughs) this conversation was us, like, coming to terms with a childhood movie that we both really loved. And the fact that it was a great movie, but it was also super fucking problematic because Girl literally falls in love with her abusive-ass abuser, who's like, alright, well, you showed up, so I'm gonna capture you. Which is not a great setting to fall in love with somebody. No, not in the least. And and I was talking to you about, like, yeah, that's obviously, like, not okay. Like, you know, romanticizing Stockholm Syndrome is pretty bullshit. However, I did like that, you know, one of the things, like, a lot of the things were, like, very focused on the female character. And they really focused on, like, how important it was that she had tenderness and open-mindedness and understanding and was a smart woman as opposed to just a go along with the crowd you know there was there was good and bad beauty and the beast definitely focused on her intelligence and her uniqueness much less than her beauty yes very much which was really great in fact specifically the person who was focusing on our beauty gaston was like oh my lord he is like if I were to write a textbook on toxic masculinity, Gaston would be on the front. He would be on the cover of the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's really the only one who, like, focused on her beauty, and he is the villain. Right, he's the most maligned character. It's yeah. Just, n- nobody really likes him, except so, for LeFou. Who? Likes him too much. Literally gay for him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to do no, in the Beast. Ta- no. Good good tangent. <sighs> also, technically relevant. Beast... Technically relevant, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's fair, exactly. it's totally fair. I mean, I can see that being related. Well, I think that we can get a little, um... I don't want to say existential, but uh, out there when it comes to... The, the concepts of storytelling and their impacts on culture and how we interpret those stories, right? I mean, that's what horror is about, mm-hmm. really, right? So I think a little tangent here and there is all right. Yeah, totally. I mean, look, we don't exist in the va- in a vacuum, so everything is related to everything. To varying degrees. Sorry for <laughs> our tangents, but they are all relevant. They're all relevant. Also, I cut out a lot of this shit, so be grateful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so moving on past Aesop, we've talked about, you know, the the concept and the original start of the Big Bad Wolf. We get our very first probably recorded version of Little Red Riding Hood. So we go to ye oldie Belgium? Question mark? (laughs) And we get Egbert de Liege. He was Egbert from Liege. And oh, de Liege. Yeah. Yes. He w- this is back when we didn't have last names because there were only two of us. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a cleric and a teacher, and he decided to compile a book of poems and proverbs and fables and folk tales uh, in order to help teach his students. 
Oh, great. Good on you, Egbert. Yeah. So the book was, it was a two-part book called The Well-Laden Ship. This particular story was from the local peasants. He even writes about it, like, in the beginning of the story. That, like, I heard this from the locals. And it is called Concerning the Girl Saved from the Wolf Cubs. All right. Because <laughs> stuff was titled super good. Really, really nicely. Really concise. Although the well-laden ship is a nice name. I was thinking that, actually. It's very, like, yeah, metaphorical that a, and that a good name. poetic. It's great. Yeah. So, a five-year-old girl was out wandering in her red baptismal gown uh, with no care for her safety. A wolf saw her and decided that she would make excellent prey for his cubs, so he set them upon her, but they couldn't manage to tear her apart. So instead, they began to caress her head, their fierceness having been allayed. The little girl said, Oh, mice, don't rip this tunic which my godfather gave me, taking me from the font. God, their creator, softens savage souls. So the moral is that because she was baptized, the wolves did not tear her apart. They cuddled her? Yeah, basically, it, the okay. idea was that, like, she was protected by her baptismal gown that she was wearing. Okay. Not, Which kept the baby wolves from being able to tear her apart. Yeah, not a great um, moral, because I'm just going to let y'all know now, religious artifacts and clothing will not protect you from the same thing that everybody else has to go through. <laughs> so it won't protect you from being eaten alive by wild animals should you ever be in that situation. Yeah, I just want to let you know. But this dude was alive between 1010 and 1026. Sorry, he was alive much longer than that. This was written between 1010 and 1026. So literally like a full thousand years ago. So yeah, that's fine. Some They're allowed to think that. It's cool. They're allowed they were to too think busy that. making like other so. substantial advancements to worry about, you know that were there a lot of substantial advancements yeah, i don't know Prob then? i mean there were I'm and there, sure there weren't were. right it's all relative okay so now i'm going to tell you the first time little red riding hood actually sounds like little red riding hood okay because that was just a girl wearing a red dress was attacked by wolves kind of yeah which is sort of but it really wasn't so now I think we're it gets go... some of the imagery started, though. It starts the imagery, definitely. Um, and you can kind of see it travel across Europe. So, we're getting to Italy. Okay. This is 1400s, told by peasants. I don't have an author because that's how most of these are, is ultimately they're told by peasants. Just that some of them were written down and I have an author. Right. So, this is the first time we have, like, the Red Riding Hood storyline okay but it's a ton naughtier naughtier it's a it's a ton gnarlier okay hit me with it uh okay it's called la finta nona the false grammar grandmother or little red hat okay so little red hat was collecting flowers on her way to bring soup to her grandmother when she met a wolf she didn't know any better she didn't know that wolves were evil and she told the wolf where she was headed when the wolf asked her. The wolf said, great, I'll come with you. But then they came upon a diverging path. 
one direction was a field of thorns, the other direction was stones across a river. The wolf asked, which way are you going to take? Riding Hood was like, I'm going to take the stones across the river because the field is thorns. And the wolf was like, okay, cool. Um, actually, I've changed my, not, my mind. I got to go by. And he took off in the other direction. So Little Red Hat took off across the stony river to mm-hmm. the other side. The wolf rushed through the field of thorns in order to beat Little Red Hat to her grandmother's. Lucky for him, Little Red Hat got distracted by flowers and butterflies and was taking her sweet-ass time. The wolf got to Grandmother's house long before Little Red Hat, and when Grandmother opened the door, the wolf violently murdered her. He pulled out her intestines and used them as a latch string for the door. He drained her blood and put that in a pitcher. He also pulled out her teeth and put those and pieces of her flesh in the cupboard. So, not at all normal wolf, I'm going to kill you and eat you, but wolf as a sociopathic human, I'm going to do weird shit with your body parts? Yeah, like serial killer, like Jeffrey Dahmer's basement kind of shit. That's interesting. Jeffrey Dahmer didn't have a basement. Don't worry about it. Um, (laughs) so little red hat finally got to the house, but things didn't feel quite right. She shouted to ask if everything was okay, and a gruff, not particularly grandmotherly voice responded that everything was fine, and that Little Red Hat should just pull the latch string to let herself inside. Little Red Hat was unnerved by the string, and asked why it seemed squishy and bloody. And the wolf responded, that's because it's your grandmother's intestines. Just right out the gate. (laughs) And Little Red Hat was like, what? And the wolf was like, oh, nothing, just come on in. So she did. Okay. Inside was a a very dark, uh, but Little Red Hat could see an oddly large grandma in bed on the other side of the room. She sat the soup down and asked if there was anything to eat, as she was hungry after a long day of playing in the woods. Weird Grandma told her that there was rice in the cupboard. And Little Red Hat grabbed the rice and began eating. Little Red Hat commented on how strangely hard the rice was. And Weird Grandma responded, that's because it's your grandmother's teeth. Again, Little Red Hat was like, what? And the wolf was like, oh, nothing. And Little Red Hat ate the grandmother's teeth, not wanting to seem impolite. Weird... Weird Grandma also told Little Red Hat that there was some chopped meat in the cupboard if she was still hungry, which she probably was because I imagine teeth aren't that filling. Mm-mm. Uh, and if she was thirsty, there was a pitcher of wine on the table. How old's Little Red Hat? Drinking wine. <laughs> in different versions, she's actually older. Yeah. She's old enough to be, like, fetching. Um, to be fetching, oh. So, Little Red Hat then ate and drank more of Grandma. (laughs) After playing in the woods and eating Grandma, Little Red Hat was tired. Weird Grandma told Little Red Hat to take off her clothes and get into bed with her. Yeah, okay. That's normal, Grandma. Yeah. So, this kind of... Let's just take, like, a quick aside for, like, maybe implications of sexual assault. Yes. 
um, it's definitely going to come up again. I just kind of want to bring up that, oh, take off your clothes and get into bed with me, uh, is a theme. It's a theme. Okay. Like, across these stories. Okay. Okay. One one thing I have to ask, though, and, and I feel like this is somewhat relevant, mm-hmm. not to uh, detract from or minimize that as a theme, but I do know that... Uh, in old times, it was very common for people to share beds and things like that. And there, although there were values about like nudity and that kind of stuff, it was still a little bit different. So I guess I'm just wondering, um, as far as like this first original story, or I guess how much do you think should be directly interpreted as like creepy, uh, uh, sexually assaulting kind of wolf versus like, you know, tricking her into feeling comfortable and going to bed uh, with her grandmother, which would have been a fairly normal scenario. Well, see, that's the idea, is that the wolf, using a normal scenario, tricked her into coming into bed naked yeah. in an inappropriate way. Okay. So I because guess that's, I getting into bed more... with grandma is fine, getting into bed with wolf, not fine. Right. Okay. I guess that's what I was trying to get at, is like, was the... Was the getting into bed a pretext to continue the normalization or to continue the assault? So I guess yes. both. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Okay. Is it a Sorry, bug or a feature? Please continue. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, that's just, that's just the thing I wanted to like bring up. It's not, it's not like official official because I, I doubt that they would say anything like that, but I think you are supposed to interpret it like a, oh, she would have been so fine to get into bed with her grandma, but if it's a wolf. Like, oh no. There's yeah. naughty impl- implications and I don't like it. So, Little Red Hot, she took off her clothes, hopped into her grandmother's bed, where a familiar yet dissimilar exchange began. Why, Grandma, you're so hairy. That comes with age, said weird Grandma. Grandma, your legs are so long. That comes from walking. Grandma, you have such large hands. That comes from working. Grandma, you have such big ears. That comes from listening. Grandma, you have such a large mouth. That comes from eating children. And the wolf gobbled Little Red Hat up, and she died. The end. So then, uh, uh, what's the moral (laughs) of this story? I mean, I think in the... So there's not, like, an official written-out moral, because, again, it was passed on by peasants, not, like, written down in some moral Mm -hmm. book. But I think that the idea was, like, you know, don't talk to strangers, don't trust strangers, uh... Don't be dumb when interacting with weird situations. Right. It um, sounds like the whole moral is don't be dumb. Yeah. And that's kind of where I get into the, like, it's interesting that these were, because these were definitely about sexual assault. Like mm-hmm. the wolf, as opposed to being a tyrant or, you know, a, a, a wicked criminal was a sexual predator. Yeah. And... And that's really interesting that there were these stories, you know, kind of warning people of sexual assault and warning you to, like, be careful because, to use a different but relevant uh, idiom, wolves in sheep's clothing exist Mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, However, this kind of goes back to what I was saying. It also is where you start to see the normalization of... Victim blaming. 
Right, Little Red Riding Hood was stupid. That's why she got that horrible stuff happened to her grandmother and why she got eaten and why she, yeah. Yeah, so so it's like it's like a warning of like sexual predators exist, be careful. But it's also like a, if you do this, you're dumb for having like let it happen to you. Yeah. So again, you know, take the good, leave the bad, right? Mm-hmm. So moving on to 1697 France, we get to Charles Perrault, which is a familiar figure because he wrote Tales and Stories of the Past with Morals, Tales of Mother Goose. Oh, Mother Goose. Yeah. So uh, Charles Perrault was 67. He had just lost his fairly prestigious government job, and he decided to spend more time focusing on his children. That's when he published this book, and he is now widely known as the modern author of the fairy tale genre. He was basically ye old Brothers Grimm. Okay. Uh, and he wrote Le Petit Chaperon Rouge, so Little Red Riding Hood. Okay. Um, I'm going to retell the story again. <laughs> okay. Once upon a time lived a young country girl. And I'm going to, I want to retell the story because there's some like details that are actually, they're similar that are important and there's differences that are important. Right. Great. Go for it. So you're hearing Red Riding Hood a whole bunch. Deal with it. (laughs) So once upon a time lived a young country girl, the prettiest creature who ever was seen. Wow. Her mother doted upon her, and her grandmother more so. Her grandmother even made her a Little Red Riding Hood, which she wore so often that she became known as Little Red Riding Hood. One day, Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother fell ill, so her mother sent her to deliver cake and butter to her sick grandma. She took the food, and off she went. In the forest, Little Red Riding Hood met a wolf. The wolf wanted to eat her, but knew better as there were some woodcutters nearby. Instead, he asked where she was going, and, not knowing better, she told him exactly where her grandmother lived. So, Not knowing better. Yep. The wolf said, great, I'll race you there, and took off for grandma's house. The wolf took a shortcut, but but Little Red Riding Hood took the long path and got distracted picking flowers and chasing butterflies. The wolf made it to grandma's first. He knocked on the door and told Grandma that he was Little Red Riding Hood, sent by her mother to deliver cake and butter. As Grandmother was sick, she told the wolf to just pull the latch and come in, where he then ate Grandmother. No! I do think... Sorry, what? Just, it's interesting that the first person to... If the moral starts out as don't be stupid, that the first person to suffer from, like, you know, Little Red Riding Hood's stupidity is her grandmother. I mean, I think one of the one of the morals there is like your actions have consequences for more than just yourself, right? Which that is a sense. good moral. That's, That's a, good a good moral, moral, right? Like your actions affect other people, especially those people who care about you the most. Yeah, it's just also unfair to be like if you talk to a wolf, he will eat your grandma. He will eat your grandma. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a thing. So he ate grandma. Little Red Riding Hood arrived later. She, too, knocked on the door and told not Grandma that she was Little Red Riding Hood sent by her mother to deliver cake and butter. She was confused by the gruff voice that responded, but assumed that her grandmother's voice was just hoarse with the cold. When Little Red Riding Hood entered, she saw a strange, large grandmother in bed who was hidden by blankets and bedclothes. 
the wolf grandma told Little Red Riding Hood to put the food on the stool and get into bed with her. She then took off her clothes and got into bed. Now, in some stories, she puts on night clothes, and in some stories, she just takes off her clothes. Again, we get back to the conversation we just had. Yeah. Amazed by her grandmother's strange appearance, she began, Grandmother, what big arms you have, the better to hug you with, my dear. And we get the actual familiar... Right, that's that's what I was waiting for. The better to hug you with, my dear. Yeah. Like, that's the lines I'm used to right there. Yeah. And La Fintanona, my legs are just long from walking so much. Uh, it was weird. Yeah. The wolf not... didn't know cause and effect. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, what long legs, what large eyes, what large ears. You know, same story, but, like, the better to hear you with, the better to see you with. Finally, Grandma, what big teeth you have, the better to eat you with, my dear. And the wolf gobbled up Little Red Riding Hood, and she died the end. And she died the end. So, in Mother Goose, Charles Perrault added a final paragraph at the end, which was the moral. Oh, thank you, Perrault. Yes. Children, especially attractive, well-bred young ladies, should never talk to strangers, for if they should do so... They may well provide dinner for a wolf. I say wolf, but there are various kinds of wolves. There are also those who are charming, quiet, polite, unassuming, complacent, and sweet, who pursue young women at home and in the streets. And unfortunately, it is these gentle wolves who are the most dangerous ones of all. I feel like a large portion of that was actually valid and helpful. Mm -hmm. And He and, was overtly uh... saying, like... By the way, there are sexual predators everywhere. Right, Watch which I think ass. is really important and really helpful. Uh, especially, yeah, I think that's like a really good lesson. I think the only thing that continues to be questionable about that is the element of victim bl victim blaming. Yeah. Other than that, I feel like that's a good job, uh, Charles Perrault. Yeah, no, it's a it's an important it's an important lesson, especially at the time. I think it's a very modern concept, and one that I agree with, but a very, very modern concept, so we can't judge people too harshly for their ye old ideas back in 1697, um, that we should stop putting the onus of not getting sexual assaulted on victims victim. of sexual assault yeah. and start putting the onus of not sexually assaulting on the assaulter. Right, yes. So, you know especially attractive, young, well-bred ladies should never talk to strangers. Back then, super, super great moral. Now, kind of douchey. Yeah, a little questionable. Yeah. yeah. So it's, again, it's kind of one of those, like, take the good, leave the bad. Take the good, leave the bad. But, yeah, it is, I don't know. I found it really interesting that um, the big bad wolf, really, really, really overtly became the sexual predator lurking in right, at that, every corner. It was definitely heavily kind of implied, like you wondered, like, is that what they're meaning? In with the earlier stories, but where it still still kind of uh, implied enough, implied enough rather than overt, that you kind of were like, no, I'm just gross for being weirded out about her getting naked <laughs> before getting in bed with her grandmother. No. 
And then this is where it becomes very overt. Like, no, no, this is definitely about sexual assault. Watch out. Well, and he overtly says it, you know? Right. And that's what I'm saying. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do like the, the conversation that like, you know, the wolves aren't just wolves. They're also like charming, quiet, polite, unassuming. Right. They're the nice guys. That's a really helpful and important element to include. And I think Mm -hmm. one that, uh, is almost, I don't want to say more, not more evolved, but I think it illustrates a level of uh, more contemporary kind of thought. Or not, con- I don't know, just, <sighs> it's better than just saying watch out for predators to highlight yeah. that, you know, people who seem like they're not predators definitely are. Well, I, I honestly totally agree with you. I do think it's like super contemporary thought because again, even now in our super victim blamey society, we, we have a tendency to believe that the only like valid rapes are rapes by like some fucking homeless dude who jumped out of the bushes. Right. I was about to, I wasn't about to say the homeless bit, but I was about to say the guy jumping out of the bushes. That While, uh, while you were on your way from the person who just dropped you off in front of your building to your building. Yeah. Like, you did everything right and literally a monster jumped out of nowhere and attacked you. Those are the only, like, legitimate rapes. Right. Not the kind where you... Where you went on a date with, like, a totally reasonable, nice dude, and then while he was walking you back to your place, he got way too not okay. Right, and that you questioned yourself too much to... You questioned yourself and the situation and what signals you had sent too much to do anything about it. So the actions you took looked a lot more like consent than they really should have. Yeah, you, you were trying to be polite because that's how you were socialized as a woman was like to be kind and polite and in attempting to protect yourself by being polite you actually ended up endangering yourself by trusting a nice guy who you shouldn't have trusted mm-hmm. it's an interesting moral it's a really like i'm probably gonna have to put like a by the way at i probably the beginning of this episode to be like Here's what we actually believe about sexual assault, by the way. Also, trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, because I know that we're, like, in talking about this, we're, we're discussing some really problematic stuff. And I kind of want to just, like, clarify that there are some things that we agree with in these morals. And there are some things that we really don't agree with in these morals. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think there's... getting that out in the open at the very beginning is a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, because I definitely don't want to send uh, any kind of pro victim blaming Mm -hmm. message. Yeah, like I'm all about protecting yourself, but I'm also way, way, way more on board with the hey, sexual assaulters, maybe stop sexually assaulting. Right. Like, (laughs) I think that there's a lot of value in educating people about wolves and like how to avoid them, and how to spot them, and how to take appropriate action. That's really valuable, really important, really necessary. Both are good. Yes. Por que no los dos? Por que no los dos? <laughs> so, our final rendition is the Grimm Brothers, where we get Ooh. the story that we know. So, Grimm Brothers, early century, early uh, 19th century Germany, uh, children's and household tales. Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, they were acad- Grimm, Grimm. 
Wilhelm Grimm. <laughs> have been talking so much that my mouth is even so That's going in a sound bite. Um, <laughs> Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm were academics and cultural researchers that made it their life's work to research early German language and folktales, which did cool. include appropriating some tales from other places and passing them off as German. Oh, you dicks. So there's some, because I mean, this is a French story that was an Italian story that was a Belgian story. Like, it is a European story. Right. It's not German. <laughs> it's German, but it's not just German. So, so by appropriating, they don't necessarily mean uh, taking and misusing, but presenting as exclusively German when really it's just a European story. Yeah. It's a different kind of appropriation. Right. It's it's the <laughs> Have you ever seen the comic of the I made this and then the person grabs it and is like, I made this. It's that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I made this. <laughs> um so mostly good, like definitely compiled some cool stories, definitely did some cool work, definitely did some cool research. A little problematic in their uh approach to the actual production mm -hmm. <laughs> of their work so this kind of goes back to la finta nona because again it is called little red cap okay so once upon a time there was a sweet little girl her mother and grandmother loved her and had a red cap of velvet made for her she loved to wear this cap so much that she became known as little red cap lovely little red cap all right we've got some themes so one day, little Red Crab's grandmother fell ill. Her mother sent her with cake and a bottle of wine. But first, she told Little Red Cap to mind her manners and stay on the path. Little Red Cap was walking the path. She met a wolf. Not knowing any better, this is a theme in all of our redhead Red Riding Hood stories. Right. They are uninformed. They don't know better. So not knowing any better, she was not afraid. The wolf asked her where she was going, and Little Red Crab cap told him exactly where her grandmother lived the wolf then pointed out the beautiful flowers surrounding them beyond the path and little red cap was like oh grandma would totally love a fresh wildflower bouquet and she got distracted and the wolf ran off right off the bat not listening to her mother well she was because she was being polite but then she got off the path yeah reminding her manners right like, yeah it's it's one of those, like, follow the path and don't talk to strangers. Is yeah. the moral. Um, <laughs> so the wolf got to grandma's house and knocked. She pretended to be, oh, he pretended to be a little red cap. And as the grandmother was too weak to get the door herself, she simply told him to pull the latch and come in. The wolf opened the door and gobbled grandma up. Then he put on her bedclothes, drew the curtains, and got into grandma's bed. When little red cap arrived at grandma's, she was surprised to find the house door open. She let herself inside and found it strange and kind of frightening. She said good morning, but heard no response. She went to grandmother's bed and pulled back the curtains to find that her grandma was there, but with her hat pulled down low to cover her face. And little red cap began. Grandmother, what big arms you have. Better to hug you with, etc. She got to grandmother, what big teeth you have. The better to eat you with, my dear. And the wolf leapt out of bed and gobbled up little red cap whole. The wolf then fell soundly asleep and began to snore loudly. Here's our diversions. Ooh, I was wondering this would happen. 
Shortly after, a huntsman came by and noticed the open door and the loud snoring. He decided to investigate the home. He found the wolf asleep and recognized him as he had been hunting him for a very long time. He raised his rifle but paused, thinking the grandmother may still be inside and maybe could still be saved, so he decided not to shoot. Instead, he took some scissors and cut open the wolf's belly. Out popped Little Red Cap and after popped Grandmother. Little Red Cap gathered up some rocks and put the rocks in the wolf's belly and sewed him back up. When the wolf awoke, he found himself so full and heavy that he killed over after just a few steps. So that's the version that we know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is still a really fucking wild story. Yeah. Yeah, the filling him up with rocks bit. Like, what is that about? I don't know. But I remember seeing it in the cartoons. That just seems like like an unnecessarily sadistic detail. I know, it's, I mean, but, like, you think about it, like, ye old fucking, car- like, fairy tales were pretty fucking gross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, La Finta Nona was actually, like, that was a horror movie. Right. You could well, literally turn that into a horror movie. That's, that was one of the other things I thought was, it's interesting how the descriptions of the wolf's activities are pretty just, like, matter of fact, like, he went in, lied to Grandma, ate her, there you mm-hmm. go. But the, like, the, <laughs> then there's, the, like, this gross detail and, like, Literally scissors open, filled right. with rocks. Close. Right. The the sadistic details at this point <laughs> like, are that's pretty gross. You could the right. grandma and little red riding hood are out of the wolf now. You could just shoot them. Right, like that's fine. Right, exactly. The sadism <laughs> is saved for the heroes in the story, which is interesting. That's a weird yeah. turnaround. It is a weird turnaround. I was I was really excited and really curious about the uh, debut of the uh, woodsman and what mm-hmm. that would really mean. And how that altered the the moral of the story. Yeah. So I actually have a theory on where the woodsman comes in. Ooh. Which is one of the reasons that I thought it was really a neat idea for me to do Little Red Riding Hood before we do werewolves. Yeah. Because in my story of the werewolves, I'm going to tell a story where a woodsman or a hunter comes in and is this guy. What do you mean? It'll make a lot more sense when I tell the story. Okay, okay. Um, but basically, I'm going to wrap around Little Red Riding Hood into our actual werewolf coverage. Right. Because while I was researching this, I was like, holy shit, these stories interplay. So this is, well, this is related, but it makes me keep thinking of it. Uh, do you remember when we lived together... Yeah, when we lived together. Um, and you played Red or Little Red Riding Hood for Halloween. Yes, but do you remember my you very specific twist pelt. on it? Mm-hmm. Yes. That that my whole idea was that I was uh, Little Red Riding Hood. And I think I might have even like put some fake blood either on my clothing or on my skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the implication was very much that I had encountered the wolf, like you know, whatever the Little Red Riding Hood character you was dressing up as the wolf had, instead yeah. of the wolf slewing you. Yes, had encountered the wolf and without having to have been eaten, was able to take the wolf's pelt. Yeah, and um, that was it was interesting too because that was really before, you know, whatever. I've always been a little liberal, artistic vaguely malcontented person. Uh, but that was really before I'd given any serious thought to the metaphor and imagery involved in the little red riding hotel. Right. It was very much, it was almost more inspired by seeing that fabric and being like, Oh, that'd be tight. What could I do mm-hmm. with this? 
and feeling like instant like oh that's the right thing to do is be little red riding hood but like fuck that wolf <laughs> yeah i mean honestly i didn't know i didn't know how much like subtext was in this story until i sort of went down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and was like oh shit i need to tell this story yeah um but another reason that i think you know it's not just about the big bad wolf it's literally about a wolf that transforms into a human and then back into a wolf no you're right and that's what makes it really intriguing and lays the foundation for the werewolf right is mm-hmm. the wolf is is being a successful predator through human characteristics Mm -hmm. it's the talking it's the trickery it's the literally pretending to be somebody else that is helping the wolf to to be a successful predator it's not his uh wolf-like characteristics right like he gets his drive to eat i guess right to eat people right that comes from he gets his strength and he gets his large teeth and right from his base animal nature but it's really interesting Mm -hmm. how human all of the truly terrifying uh, characteristics of the wolf yeah. are. All of the wickedness and trickery yeah. comes from him being human. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's actually... I was amazed while I was doing this research, like, how fucking relevant Little Red Riding Hood was to the werewolf story mm-hmm. and legend. And, you know, I had already done some werewolf research before I even started on Little Red Riding Hood. And as I was going through, like, the eras of Mm -hmm. it, you know, we've got 14th century, 16th century, 19th century. I was like, oh, my God, this actually, like, follows the timeline of the werewolf and how the story changes. Really? So there's mirroring for how the... uh werewolf legend evolved as well not just because i was Mm -hmm. i was visualizing it as a little red riding hood 2 werewolf but i guess it's not accurate it's it's they're both developing simultaneously yeah and so you can see the parallels in the two stories Mm -hmm. and how they evolve reflected in the little red riding hood story it's a it's a dna strand weaving itself together as opposed to a i don't know a crochet hook of just one string created and then and then Mm -hmm. and then yeah Yeah. so we've got one side of the dna today and i think we'll be able to get all of the rest of it into the next episode but we'll see we might have to two-part of that either way it's gonna be a lot of fun it already has i had a lot of fun with this i know me. i had a lot of fun with this i enjoyed it quite thoroughly yeah I was like, whatever, this is a children's story. And then I read it more, and I was like, actually, no, this is horror as fuck. Right, this is definitely <laughs> horror. Eat grandma's teeth. I would absolutely watch La Finta Nona. Right? Anyway, that was really okay. fun. That was fun. What do I want to say? Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Horror Academy and at Horror underscore Academy. Vice versa. Twitter is at Horror Academy. Instagram at Horror under Academy. Score Academy. Uh, you can email us at Horror Academy Pod, and if you want to help us out, rate and review our show would be super cool because it apparently helps more people to see us. Oh, cool! It's like yeah. getting an upvote on so, YouTube. Right on. Yeah, that one. So yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on this exciting Wolfie journey with us, oh. and I look forward to our next time. <laughs> All right. Okay, love, love you, bye. bye. <laughs>